is Dance on Air, the podcast, and I'm your host, Jordan McHenry, and I'm sitting here at the legendary Jacob's Pillow with the incredible Matthew Neenan. Hi, Matthew. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for being my very first live oh. interview on Dance on Air, the podcast. Very honored. Today, you are here representing the Pillow as the program director for the new contemporary ballet program. Yes. First, I want to ask, as a dancer at the Pennsylvania Ballet, what was your favorite type of rep to perform? Was it classical or contemporary? It was both. It was both. I mean, I loved doing the Balanchine repertoire, and I was trained at the School of American Ballet and LaGuardia High School, so I was kind of in the house of Balanchine and Robbins and Martha Graham, so that New York... (laughs) way of moving was like yeah that something uptown. yeah absolutely i still love doing the classics but anything balanchine or robbins or paul taylor i love to do i mean as a dancer i didn't do i mean i didn't do any forsyth killian or ohad or duato but I love that work so much and I feel like I understand it and it's a it's affected my work. So I'm grateful to know it, but I, I never danced those works, but So for the layman who's listening, mm-hmm. Balanchine is described as neoclassical work. And then when you describe Killian or Duato, we start to venture into a realm or a spectrum of what is neoclassical versus what is contemporary. Right. Right? I mean, now a dancer has to do everything. And even some of the instructors here, like Edward Liang and Alicia Graff, who are my generation, even 20, 25 years ago, it was either like Paul Taylor or you did Balanchine or classics. Now you're doing everything and you're expected to do everything. So you you really have to, I feel like the education now with these young dancers, they need to invest in knowing that they can do everything and that's how you're going to be hired. So versatility is paramount. Yeah. At this point, I really feel like it is, even at Paris Opera. I mean, they're just doing so much contemporary work and Forsyth is there all the time and he's still exploring his own voice. What's interesting too is I think a lot of choreographers are even going back to like ballet technique. For sure. And then extending that value. Everything's happening right now and you just have to be prepared for everything. (laughs) So when you describe contemporary work or contemporary ballet to someone who can't see the aesthetic differences of Mm -hmm. a genre... What would you say to a layman? How is contemporary ballet, how does it look different than modern or classical ballet? I mean, contemporary ballet still can be on point, but it's using the point shoe differently or something edgier. It's not always in a tutu. Sometimes it's just in a leotard or in their sweats. And a layman can just kind of see that difference. I mean, I think we need to give more credit to the people who haven't seen much dance in their life because... I started a company called Ballet X, and we've had audiences who didn't start seeing dance until their 50s or 60s. And you give them some time to see a few pieces, and then they make their own judgment on on what they've just seen. And a lot of times you're like, you're exactly right. They're like, the first piece was a little more this. The second piece, like, they extended their bodies a little bit more. Like, you still... 
if you're a new audience member, like you still have that right and that value to make your own opinion of what you just saw. If you're seeing a contemporary piece, you'll know that it's a little more grounded. The dancers are a little more um, extending their bodies a little bit more. Um, but even in ballet now, even in classical ballet, I feel like the contemporary side of everything has also affected the classical side. So I even feel like when you watch a classical ballet, dancers are like extending. I wish I could show it. I'm like doing it now. Not that everyone can see show it, with, but show it's it with like your voice. Show everyone's it with your voice. like extending it a little bit more and showing the articulation a little bit more. And it's also because dancers now are doing everything and they're also incorporating their all the contemporary work they're doing into their classical ballet like technique and the classical full-length ballets that they're doing which they should right it has a continuum effect it's challenging sometimes to cultivate a strong arts audience if you're not in one of the dance meccas like new york or chicago right, right. if you're in a medium-sized community mm -hmm. where they're less culturally exposed and they hear the word ballet someone says ballet is boring they obviously haven't come to a ballet x performance yeah how would you define the aesthetic of your own company ballet x i mean they perform at a, a smaller theater it seats it's the wilma theater in philadelphia where we're the resident dance company a theater that produces mostly theater in plays, directed by Blanca Zitska. We've done full-length ballets there, we've done everything there, but it's a proscenium theater. The audience just seeing dance that way is different for them, especially people who were used to like going to the big opera houses and viewing dance that way, where the dancer is like much more another dimension, where smaller venues, it's actually helps audiences, I think, to appreciate the dance more because you see the blood and the sweat and the tears and you see them breathing. For me, it can be really fun to choreograph when I know it's a smaller theater because I know the audience is like right on top of them. Therefore, I might say like, really use your breath there so that the audience can like feel it and they're right there with you. In that regard, I think it's helped a lot of contemporary companies who are performing in smaller venues because the audience is just they're more there your choreographic reputation is extensive you've choreographed for classical companies you've choreographed for contemporary companies when you go in to create a commission on let's say a classical company mm -hmm. how do you tailor the approach mm -hmm. that's Great question too, because sometimes when you're choreographing for the huge companies and you only have like two to three weeks to create the work, you have to have an understanding of like what the company is going through and the works that they're rehearsing at that time. So you can do your best to like put your voice in there, but you also at the end of the at the end of the day and at the performance, the dancer has to look the best they can. And that's your job as a choreographer to make them look the best they can. So you kind of have to see like what the company does really well. So when I did a piece at New York City Ballet for the first time, I would love to go back because I'd love to do something completely different from what I did. But 
I stayed in the range of like what they're really great at and what they're really beautiful at in that company is quickness, clarity, musicality, port great use of ensemble work because there's so much quarter ballet, even the principles in that company, even in balancing work, it's a lot of, it's always quarter ballet work and just like working together. So I tried to emphasize that as much as I could because I knew that was their strong point. I only had like literally two to three weeks to create it. And then when I've with like a smaller company like Ballet X or I did a piece at Body Traffic in LA, which was just a group of eight dancers, much more contemporary. The piece was in socks, but it was the same thing. It was just like what you guys do really well together. I just always try to like get a a big sense of what the company does and the repertoire they've performed and see what we can um, accomplish in a two to three week creation. So when you're working with professionals, there's this approach of making them look the best that they can. But when you come in as a pedagogue, as a teacher, Mm -hmm. like here at Jacob's Pillow, how do you cultivate a slightly different way of discussing with the dancers Mm -hmm. what you're working on or what you're trying to get out of them? I mean, what's great about this intensive, too, is just we have time to talk. We kind of, like, talk every day about, like, what we've done. And, I mean, a lot of them are going into professional companies even after this intensive, but they're still here to learn. I mean, the learning never stops. It's very apparent with all of us that we're all here to learn, and then, therefore, we're just going to, like, keep evolving each day in the program and they're dealing with a lot of personalities coming in and it's been great to kind of observe that too. I've been learning so much and I've been taking my own notes on what everyone has been like giving to them and offering to them because it's the learning curve never goes away. You co-directed this program with Alexandra Damiani. Yes. Who just had a baby last week. (laughs) As co-directors, how did you curate the other teachers that you brought um, in? First, tell us who, who else is teaching with you in um, this program. Well, it's funny because last year when uh, I got offered the position, so when JR offered, I was just like, oh, JR, I don't know. I don't direct anymore. I don't do that. And she was like, Matthew, it's two weeks. Who do you want as a co-director? She's like, and I also, she was like, you can have a co-director. I'm like, yeah, that would be wonderful. And I started Ballet X with Christine Cox, who's a fierce woman. (laughs) So I was like, well, I want another fierce woman. And we found Alexandra, who accepted graciously. Alexandra was one of the directors of Cedar Lake Contemporary Ballet. Yeah, has an incredible reputation. And after a couple conversations with her, I just was like, yeah, let's do it. And we had never met. And then we talked about on the program who we wanted to come I mean that was also the fun part that JR said too she was like it's two weeks like it's not like you're hiring a hundred (laughs) people like we'll figure out who the dancers are and are those who apply and then you know you just need to invite three to four people to like teach master classes and which isn't that it's not that hard and Alexandra knows more people in the world than I do because she's worked in Europe I guess, but potentially. Yes. 
It's all but relative. She, I mean, what was wonderful is like the two people who taught master classes this week, Alicia Graff and Edward Liang. We kind of both said that in our email right away. From there, we wanted either Crystal Pite, that repertoire, or Azure Barton. Then, luckily, with the Azure repertoire, we found Jonathan Alsbury, who's been her right hand man from For the years, beginning, yes. even like. 15 to 20 years ago when Jojo, everyone calls him Jojo, (laughs) the best. And watching him, I've learned so much from watching him teach the students. It's very repetitive. Mm -hmm. I tend to, in my work, kind of just like go and I'm like, yeah, go. All right, next, let's go. And then I'm like, I'll fine tune it later. But with Azure, she's kind of the opposite, where she's like, no, we're going to fine-tune it now. Yeah. Go back. Those four counts, no, we need to do it like 10 more times before we go on. And there's value in that. That's still a beautiful thing. We all have different approaches of how we want to like throw the choreography out to the dancers. And to watch JoJo do it has been valuable to me, because then I'm like, you know what? I need to kind of sometimes like go back and like tell the dancers, we need to do that again. We can't just say it's going to be like perfect when we do it in performance. Like let's, let's go over that detail of the material, even if it's an improv moment, even if it's a moment where they're like, break out and do your own thing. Let's talk, let's craft craft it. it. Let's workshop it. Um, So I've been learning so much from like the instructors who have been here the whole week and Thomas McManus was here today teaching Forsyth technique. I even learned the phrase, the first phrase from in the middle, somewhat elevated. (laughs) uh, Which is iconic, right. um, Which I never, unfortunately, got to dance. So I was learning it. And then he was like, reconstruct that. And that's, and gave them all these great tools to do that. And you see the dancers do that. And I'm almost jealous of this generation because I feel like everything's coming together like... It's not just like, oh, the ballet people, the modern people, the contemporary ballet people, and then these people, and then the postmodern people, like everything is happening. This generational distance that you're talking about is that dancers nowadays really have to absorb. There's not a finite amount of technical knowledge you absorb anymore. It's not like you can reach the end of a syllabus and know it. Exactly. Ed Liang was saying the other day, he said, with your new generation, I have, of course, issues with, I mean, they're all on their phone. Although I can say these dancers have not been on their phone at all, even during their five minute break. Yeah. It's been awesome. It feels like old school. And I don't know if it's the nature we're in. Yeah. Because I didn't even have, I, I feel like I always have to have a lecture with dancers at any company like it's fine if you're on your phone during your five minute break, but if you're still on your phone when we're back, it's not so cool. Right, right. <laughs> like that text or whatever, that comment you're making can wait. And back in the day, we would stretch or talk and gossip with each other, or, or I would take a nap. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even in the early 2000s, like we had cell phones, but we didn't have the iPhone yet. First, how old are these students that you're working They're, with? It's a good range from like 16 to 22 or 23. 
They have their performance this Saturday.、Mm-hmm. What are they performing? They'll be performing the work that I created for them last week that we debuted at the gala、okay. um, the other night. And then they'll be performing the work of Azure Barton that JoJo has been working with them on. It's a piece that she created for Staatsballet Munich about two years ago that Jonathan assisted her on. What would you say to up and coming pre professional dancers who want to enter the industry as a professional, who maybe have strengths? We all have strengths and weaknesses、mm-hmm. in different areas, quote unquote. But do you have any advice for dancers who might be wanting to come to the pillow in the future or want to work for Ballet X in the future or something like this nature?、Um, you just have to be open to everything and get. If you're someone who's more from a ballet background and you're at a school that really doesn't apply modern dance or jazz, find a place where you can take a modern class or a jazz class. Even if you're still in a company and you're a young student, when I was first at Pennsylvania Ballet, even after a f- couple years in the company,、um, I started taking jazz classes with Roni Koresh at Koresh Dance. Of course. And he taught a class at 7 p.m. And at Pennsylvania Ballet, we would finish at 6 30 p.m. And me and my best friend James Aidy, who became a principal with Pennsylvania Ballet, because he was, you know, So hungry and so talented, but and he would drag me. He'd be like, Let's go take Roni's class. Like, I know we're tired, but also we're like, We're 23. <laughs> like, go to bed exhausted. As long as you're not too injured, like, go and, like, you know, finish the day doing something new, or whether it's a yoga class. Empty or, the gas tank. Yeah. And I think I, I just give that advice to young dance. Like, you think at the end of the day you're so tired, and I'm not saying that you can't rest. You have to rest. But I heard even on Sunday here, but after they performed at the gala, on Sunday night, they all started improving together at the big studio. Just like out of nowhere, someone put on some music. They were all just like hanging out, and then they just started to improv. And I'm like, that's. Exactly. That's what you should do. Play. Yeah, it's your day off, but play. It's still your day off, but like play. You don't have to jump. You don't have to do a double tour to the knee. You don't have to do fuates if you don't want. But still do that. And I still like get with your friends and make up your own stuff. Yeah. That's how I started choreographing, like just inviting my fellow colleagues to get in a studio and go for it. When we have discussions, they can, they can skew really academic. I ask these questions because I'm trying to excavate a knowledge about、mm-hmm. things. But we don't touch enough on just the transcendent power of dancing. On the podcast, we have this segment called Twirl Talk.、Mm-hmm. And Twirl Talk is like girl talk.、Okay. We talk about people <laughs> we have crushes on.、Uh-huh. <laughs> and by crushes, I mean someone who's inspiring you. Do you have anybody? In your peripheral, that deserves a twirl talk shout out? I mean, there's many. <laughs> of course, there's so many.、Um, I mean, I'll give it to Ohad. <laughs> Great. Not, you know, I mean, I did a Gaga workshop with him in Philly, and it changed my life. Yeah.、Um, and he was there, he was working actually with the Koresh company. 
doing a piece for them or they're doing an existing work for him. So he taught a week of Gaga classes and they actually had to separate. So many people signed up, which was awesome. This was back in 2010 that we ended up getting an email like, well, you can, these people are coming, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The other people are coming Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. I came on Monday and we got to talking and he was like, just come every day. He was like, you need this. Like, yeah, I do. And at this point, I don't know, I, I might have been like in early 30s and he just was like, I can tell you need this. He was like, come every day. Oh, and maybe. after that, I mean, it changed my life. I remember thinking, I was like, I could do Swan Lake right now without having a ballet class, a full ballet class. No idea that my body could feel that way. And not that I would do, it's not like you do that class and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna be really grounded and deep right now and it's all <laughs> contemporary. I literally felt like I could do a full length ballet. Amazing. And do a double tour to the knee, even though I didn't do a double tour to the knee in class with just how like every fiber in my body responded. I wish I had done that more throughout my career. I wish ballet dancers could do that more because I think it would help so much. It's getting there, but everything takes time. Nothing happens like that. Overnight. It can take 10 to 20 years to make that. Like I'm a gyrotonics person. I love gyro. I did it in New York years ago. It didn't happen in Philly until just like five years ago. And now it's booming in Philadelphia, but it just took that long for it to happen. So everything takes time, but if you can snatch and grab your hands on it, yeah. even when it's still taking that time, do it. To close out the conversation, let's talk about the legacy of a place like The Pillow, because The Pillow is a safe space and mm -hmm. has been for almost nine decades for artists of this medium. And it's, uh, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about because so many of us have a history here. Mm -hmm. I came here as a student. I performed here with the, with the Graham Company. And now I'm interviewing mm -hmm. you here. It feels very full circle. Can you talk about how the, how the pillow affects you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it's really overwhelming every time I'm here. I feel like I'm here every three to four years. This is my second time where I choreographed for the gala program. My first time doing the program director, but then Ballet X has been here a couple times. We performed at the Inside Out Theater our first time, and then we performed at the Ted Sean Theater. They did my full length ballet. But every time I'm here, I mean, and I didn't see the new studio until this year. So every time I'm here, there's still something very fresh about it, but like the history of it, whether you're American or not it doesn't matter this was the first american dance festival that just took off and will be around i think beyond us ella bath was the leader here for so many years totally brought this place up to a whole nother area and now pamela she's fierce she's it takes really incredible leadership to further to further like understand the legacy of it and to make sure everyone knows the legacy and the history of it because they were our forefathers and we owe so much respect to them. Ted Sean and Ruth St. Dennis and sometimes when you hear about them, I mean, as I'm getting older, I love like all of those people. You're like, oh my God, they were so important. 
sometimes as a teenager, even if you're like a young, still a young professional, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, everyone talks about Martha and Paul and Ruth St. Dennis and Ted and George Balanchine and Jerry. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know. And it's like, no, you don't know what they created for us. And as choreographers, like, we're taking from them. We might be like funking it up a bit, but like we're still, everything was from them. And here, like the dancers built this place. When I'm in that literally. stone, literally, literally yeah, that our... stone dining room, I'm like, Ted, Sean and his dancers built that for us. I mean, I, it's just like, I could cry right now. It's just like, it's so important to know that and not take that for granted. Pamela bringing you in and JR bringing you in is a way of acknowledging the past because you're a titan yourself. And oh, I'm thank really you. grateful <laughs> to interview you sincerely. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Good luck this weekend. Thanks. Yeah. yeah be fun. I, I look forward to it. Thank you, Matthew. Mm -hmm.